0: Often, this is the first time my clients have done any kind of research like this, and it can be a revelation. I was writing website copy yesterday for a client, and we did a survey, and we asked his customers to describe the industry that they're in. And a ton of people called it sloppy, messy, fragmented, and the Wild West. And I was like, cool, I'm using all of those words in the copy. And hopefully now when they get to the site, they're like, this is exactly how I think of this. And that builds trust. (laughs)
1: Hey Feasters, and welcome to episode 8 of season 4 of Live in the Feast. Being more human and personable in copy is something the internet can be great for, but companies can be doing much more of this, at least in this guy's opinion. Liana Patch is also someone who champions this. Liana is founder of Punchline Copy and Snap Copy, She helps companies with their website and in-app copy, specifically humor copy. As you know, I'm big on the personal brand aspect of building your business. So I was super excited to have Leanna come on the show. She shares in this conversation how you could start adding humor on your website, where and when it is appropriate and examples, especially if you are a bit apprehensive about adding humor into your copy. And if you were thinking about doing this, but haven't done so yet, haven't made that leap, check out her uppercut service. She'll actually work with you on a landing page on your website. Head over to punchlinecopy.com and check it out. Her website is awesome. I love looking at her website. Just go ahead and do so and you'll understand why. The big surprise during our chat was when she shared that she prefers project-based work over a retainer which sort of goes against the grain when it comes to getting recurring revenue, but she's super smart in how she's been able to make that work. This chat was fun and I'm looking forward to the next time already. So I'll shut up and let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing, and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services that together with monthly roundup calls exclusive workshops expert chit chats and our slack community you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design if you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise then join feast head over to feastcourse.com today Easters, welcome. And today's co-host is Liana Patch. Welcome Lianna. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Liana is founder of Punchline Copy a service focused on humor copywriting. She also runs a company called Snap Copy, which is an on-demand copywriting service. Kind of like an Uber, I guess, for for copywriting services.
0: Hopefully we get that big, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But with Punchline Copy, she works specifically with SaaS and e-commerce companies who are, at least in my estimation, looking for a humorous injection of personality into their brand and copy. Liana... Why don't you tell us a little bit more about why you do what you do?
0: Basically, I had been writing copy for, I think, seven years, and I was not happy with where my business was. And I joined Joanna Weeb's first copywriter mastermind. And we were just, you know, having, I think, one of the first one-on-one calls I ever had with her. And I said, I wish I could just, you know, combine stand-up, which I had just started doing, and improv, with copy. And she was like, well, why can't you? What? Who's going to give me permission to do that. Well, it turns out it was me. So I did. And I have been.
1: That's awesome. Stand up. I mean, that you don't hear that too often. What got you into that?
0: I just went to an open mic. There are tons of uh, stand up open mics in New Orleans almost every night of the week now. And I went to an open mic. I think it was in, it was way back in like 2013 or something like that. And I just, heard somebody bombing and was like, I could do better than that, <laughs> which is kind of a dick thing to say, but that's how I, I started.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, that I've been to many a comic shows and they've bombed and it's terrible from the audience perspective. So I get that totally. So, I mean, we'll get into a little bit more on the tactic, but before we get into that, was it a, really a marriage made in heaven? Like, Was it like a switch that came on and said, hey, I could kind of put my comedy in the web, in my copywriting and all that stuff and help my clients in that way? Or was it more of an evolution that, you know, hey, maybe I could just try this with one client while I'm working on other clients?
0: I think right away I started to see a couple different avenues of potential. So for me coming from a very like research-based standpoint and wanting to know that everything I'm writing is actually valid. And based on what we know about customers, I liked the idea of being able to dig into this huge body of humor research that exists. Like people have been studying the effect of humor on the brain uh, for hundreds of years, if not thousands, but like, you know, we can't read <laughs> the Sumerian glyphs or whatever. Um, right. So I like that. Like, being able to dig into that huge body of work and find out what was applicable to marketing now. And just on the, like, craft of comedy level, there are so many parallels between good comedy and good copy. You know, like the rule of three, specificity, um, heightening with crazy um, examples. Like, it just made sense. So, mm-hmm. from the beginning, I was like, this is it.
1: My own point of view as a developer very dry no design like i mean i don't have those that skill set and i had websites for ages that were just very cookie cutter dry like here's what i do this is what you get right and i happened to come across chris ducker a number of years ago and he runs a community called yupenoor but he's all about personal brand business of you, that kind of thing. And I guess in listening to his podcast for a while and then hearing other people talk about it, that's when I was like, well, I can stand out with that. Yeah. If I can figure out how to get my voice into my website and just kind of be myself online instead of every other developer. Well, when I turned that corner and I hired somebody to rebrand me and really sync, sink their teeth into that. Three years later, I'm still getting comments about like a lot of different things on my website that I'm like, yeah, it's been around for a little while now. That's awesome. But, I mean, I understand the impact, but how has it been for your clients and your business as well to inject that humor in there?
0: It is very gratifying to still get people uh who, you know, will screenshot my site and tweet about it and be like, this was refreshing. This wasn't what I've seen. And often leads will come to me and say, I looked at a ton of copywriter sites and yours was the only one that stood out, which I think is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they were just looking at the wrong writers because obviously there are a ton of great copywriters out there. So yeah, it's, it's vindicating for me on the branding side to know that my people are out there and that I'm reaching them. And then on the client side, you know, I, I published my first case study this year, connecting uh, funny copy with sales conversions which was super gratifying and exciting to see I had a client that you know sent significant traffic to these product pages and they saw boosts in add to cart conversions and um purchase conversions and then I've had other clients come back one just came back and said um the onboarding sequence that you wrote for me it's actually a post purchase like He sells coffee, uh, how to make the perfect cup of coffee sequence. He was like, my retention rate has doubled. You know, people are replying and it's like, ah, it works.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it definitely works because, I mean, I think the first time I really took notice of it was probably in the early teens when I noticed MailChimp kind of added that stuff into the back end, right? Like it wasn't really front and center, but with the little monkey and everything else, Coming up and like, hey, we're gonna eat a bunch of bananas now while we're launching your email. And yeah, that's pretty cool. Or like high
0: five. We're uh, we're ushering your email into the send queue. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. And you know, as a developer, I've always put Easter eggs just in websites because that's just like my little. I don't know. It's fun to do, right? So, like, to have that actually front and center with clients that are willing to do that kind of stuff and take those. I don't even call it a risk but they do like it's a lot of fun yeah right, to be able to do those kind of things and i guess you kind of said it is that you attract those kind of clients. Do you have clients that are resistant to that at all?
0: So I think like my positioning is clear enough that people <laughs> who I'm not going to be a fit for don't reach out. But I do sometimes get people that say, you know, can you only write in this kind of balls to the wall voice that you have in your site? Or can you tone it down a little bit? Cause I'm not sure I want to go that far. And then I, I have to reassure them like, yes, I'm not just going to write in the voice that I think is the most fun. I'm going to write in a voice that meshes with the rest of your copy copy. so it doesn't feel disjointed and that your customers appreciate and find relevant. So there is sometimes that little bit of like, you know, assuaging that I have to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How do you get into your client's voice? Like do you hold interviews? I mean, how do you get that from the client so that it, does feel more like their brand.
0: Start out with the chat and it just kind of is freewheeling, you know, what, how would you describe your voice? What sites do you really um, find entertaining or like, what are your top three visited websites and what stand-up comics do you love the most what kind of shows did you grow up watching and that gives me kind of a basis and I I actually turned that into a quiz that I send people to now um, that's a, a humor style quiz so it helps me pin down kind of a broader bucket for their humor most people I find fall into this like wholesome kind of goofy with a tinge of the absurd humor and we see that a lot in modern marketing especially in e-commerce but some people are like, dark and morbid and some people are like no i want to be super highbrow and witty and like you might not get my reference to art history but that's fine so it helps me kind of like pinpoint how to start and then either they love it on the first go or we go back through and they say this is a cool reference but can we switch this out from like you know the oakland raiders to the san francisco wait who- who's san francisco the giants the 49ers, the 49ers. yeah yeah that <laughs> happened once it was like wrong football team and i was like okay. Oh, <laughs> so there's some tweaking that happens
1: so it is more of a collaborative kind of effort rather than you just kind of going off and writing various copy landing pages or full on website. I mean, is it is it that collaborative?
0: It depends. It depends. Some people, especially once I've done a few projects for them, they're comfortable with just deputizing me and like sending me off on a project and I'll come back and we'll have just minor revisions if any. And, and some people especially depending on like what kind of project it is. If it's an about page, obviously they really want to feel like it reflects them, especially if they're a a personal brand or a a bootstrap SaaS and it's just them. So it depends.
1: The client's language. I mean, that's something that I talk about a lot is like I've even, from my perspective, I always just want to know usually a couple of things from a client when they become a client. One, what tipped them over the edge to become a client of mine? To what is their expectation like what's a home run for them and what is the ultimate transformation that they see happening right like they they're aware of the problem what does it look like tomorrow if the whole problem goes away right and i i set up quarterly calls with clients and i ask these questions and i you know why do you stay with me more you know like some of the things like i can assume these things and i encourage any listener out there, if you're not already doing so, just have a 10 minute conversation with your existing clients and ask these things of them. Because I assume things and sometimes you hear the same thing from multiple clients that you would have never even thought of. Is that what you did to kind of draft up your your brand in and of itself?
0: Honestly, no. Uh, I think when I was writing my own site copy, I was just like, I'm going to let go of any inhibitions and I'm going to let go of what I think other people are doing. And I I probably got a little drunk when I was writing some of the pages because that (laughs) lowers inhibitions. (laughs) Right, right. So it's a thing that I sometimes recommend. (laughs) And it was just like, what if I had fun doing this, because that's what I ultimately want to be doing for all my clients is having fun. And I want them to have fun when they read the copy. That said, if I'm writing for a client that has an audience, I want to know that audience. And I do that through some qualitative research to figure out you know, where they're coming from and what their stage of awareness of their problem is, how they phrase that problem and how they phrase potential solutions, like the same kinds of questions you're asking your your clients quarterly but I'm giving them open-ended answers. And often this is the first time my clients have done any kind of research like this. And it's it can be a revelation. I was writing website copy yesterday for a client and we did a survey and we asked his customers to describe the industry that they're in. And a ton of people called it sloppy, messy, fragmented, and the wild west. And I was like, cool, I'm using all of those words in the copy. And hopefully now when they get to the site, they're like, this is exactly how I think of this. And that builds trust.
1: Yeah. yeah. The reason why I ask that is because when you look at your site, when I come to your site, you've managed to package, essentially package up your services, right? Like as products, like you can almost pull them off the shelves, like, and everything kind of has like a, like a boxer theme to it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Punchline. I right? know. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> the uppercut, right? You know, like you have these packages, but they're so... It's like yes, I don't even need to talk to anybody. I could. That's what I need because that speaks to me. I have a landing page. I need that copy fixed, or if I have an email and I go to that product, like it's so well crafted that I think that like that's what I was thinking. Like, how did how did she build the how did, How do you build those products, which are really services, right? Yeah.
0: Those were like deciding on those products was kind of a combination of looking at the things I most enjoyed doing, the types of projects I found myself doing most often and thinking of ways that it would be easier for someone to start working with me because I obviously as a business owner, I don't want to spend a ton of time going back and forth with someone who's eventually only going to buy one email from me. But if it's super easy for them to come to the site and say, oh, I can test her out. It lowers the bar for them. It it takes away some of that fear, streamlines the process for me. And then I can get right into the fun part, which is writing and delivering and hopefully showing them like, hey, this is legit. Now we can do a a custom scope engagement or a bigger project.
1: Mm. Do you do projects on retainer at all?
0: I do. I actually, it's interesting. Twice in my business, I have uh, either let go or been let go of almost all of my retainers simultaneously. Mostly me just being like, I don't want to do retainers anymore. So right now I'm in one of those phases where I have one small monthly retainer client that I've been working with for, I think almost two years. In the past, I've been almost all retainer and now I'm all project-based. And I think it just sort of Goes in a loop. I prefer more project-based work. I think it keeps things fresh. I'm, I'm super selective now about who I'm going to take on for ongoing work. And if I think like, oh, there's a huge need here. And this is something that I'm really excited about. And I get along really well with the project lead, then like, great. That's the prime retainer candidate right there.
1: What sort of business would need? Because I assume, I mean, maybe I'm just assuming wrong, but I'm assuming you don't do like social media posts or any of that kind of stuff. So what kind of services would be an ongoing retainer for you?
0: Um, The one that I have right now is a newsletter. So it's uh, I talk about these clients a lot. I love them. They're really cool. They are a software. They do stormwater monitoring compliance software for like industrial businesses, which is right. Yeah. Your face is like, wow, that's boring. And it is,
1: uh, I don't even know what that is.
0: (laughs) It's helping, helping like industrial parks measure the amounts of contaminants in their runoff so that they stay compliant with regulations. Uh,
1: Okay. And
0: it's a huge pain point, which like, this is part of the reason I love what I do because I get to nerd out on all this stuff that I had no idea about. So now I'm a huge stormwater nerd. And if I see some <laughs> violating stormwater protocol. I'm just like, excuse me, you can't block that drain. <laughs> really fun to be around, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> but they send out a, a monthly letter that's just like kind of a roundup of who's broken the rules and like, don't be like these people. And if they have new webinars, like they're very big on educating their client base uh, and they want to make it fun so we we do a ton of puns in those letters. They actually just hired um a full time marketing person who has been taking over writing from scratch those letters and then sending them to me to sort of polish up and get ready to go out. It's also awesome because they they made humor part of their brand, and you would never expect that uh from this kind of company but' yeah. it's, they're hugely successful
1: and it's probably how they're standing out in their own market
0: I mean I think they have a, a fantastic product and I don't know if they really have competitors, but either way, their, their positioning is solid enough that I don't think people would, you know, jump ship.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one thing, like being a New Yorker myself, I've always, there are times in my writing where, and and to your point earlier, maybe I should just write up a newsletter somewhat drunk once in a while to let them go. But like, I know that especially in my podcasts, like my other podcasts is short form answer based question and answer real quick. There are times where I'm writing an outline for the podcast and I'm like, yeah, this is a little over the edge. What would what do you suggest for that? Like, how far do you go? Do you pull back? Like, is it personality? Like, what would your sort of guidelines be around that sort of thing?
0: In terms of writing, uh, starting to write funnier copy or starting to take more risks? Yeah, Yeah. I usually say, especially if, if there's more trepidation, like start slow start on a page or a piece of your customer journey that's a little bit further in so people have the opportunity to get familiar with you and and build from there. I have sort of ground rules for where and when to use humor and not. And I always say like probably on your homepage in your unique value proposition, not a good place to try a joke because you already have such a a challenge in getting, you know, who you are and what you do and why they care very quickly and and, um, succinctly across. That's hard for everybody. So like, don't muddy it up with a joke. But if you have like post-purchase retention emails or an onboarding sequence where you have an opportunity to build more of a one-on-one relationship, like those are prime spots to start lightening the mood a
1: little bit. Yeah. Anytime I've, and I've, sort of tested it like the first time i went a little more (laughs) overboard over the line so to speak what happened (laughs) i got great feedback nice like it was more you know people were more receptive to it and all that stuff so then i kind of like went back to the way i always am like and and i feel like i'm a little bit more i don't know i'm not as developer ish than most out there but Even when I do take that step from time to time, when I realize it, I'm like, yeah, let's just let it fly. Let's see what happens. Right. And it always, and it could be the audience, but it, it always seems well-received, even if it is a controversial statement or, you know, I'm actually toeing the line on something or whatever, there's a response. Right. And I think that that's, that's like a, a sticking point with especially humor, right? Like I, you know and I, and I said you know before we pressed record was that like I love your services page, right because it's it's definitely addressing like you know exactly when you go to that page as a viewer you know exactly what you're walking into like, okay, I need this, and I'll go to go clicking that this and you hit the points like who am I? what's my struggle and here's the solution to that. and I think that that a lot of times in humor, especially, or even adding in a personality, right? Like I usually use a lot of sarcasm, but that comes through and that helps bring people in even more because you're more human that way.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's my whole goal is I want to work with people who, if I met them at a party, we would just talk easily and we'd have a good time. And that's kind of my metric for, you know, one of my metrics for new prospect calls, if we hop on and we're clearly expecting different things of each other, even just on a personal communication level, then like no harm, no foul, but we might not be the best fit. So it's just, yeah, it's just kind of a self-selection process.
1: Yeah. A friend of mine, Curtis McHale, he actually has a metric and he's another developer, but on those calls, if they don't laugh three times, he doesn't do work with them.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: He adds that own personality thing to it. So, and it's something that when I heard him do that and I said, you know what? I subconsciously do that. I don't have like a hard line thing on it, but there has to be some rapport and you want to work with people that you like, right. And why life's too short <laughs> otherwise.
0: Yeah. There's that, you know, the flip side aspect of it, which is a little bit like the secrety, but you you manifest what you wish for. So if you put it out there that you want to work with X kind of people or businesses, then okay, they'll find you.
1: Yeah. I mean, so do you do any sort of marketing of yourself or do people mostly come to you?
0: I'm lucky enough that I have a lot of referrals and word of mouth. And honestly, I speak at conferences and I do podcasts and occasionally I do a guest post and that's kind of it. Actually, I'm looking at systematizing some more traffic in 2019, like directing traffic to some of my productized services because I want to have a more like consistent idea of where my income is going to come from. But no, I haven't really marketed myself. I'm the marketer with no shoes.
1: (laughs) I mean, same thing. And I think it's a lot of people too, is that, you know, they say word of mouth is, is it like, that's my number one. Um, I've been really trying to double down on the word of mouth marketing instead of going and chasing other things because To make the word of mouth side of things more predictable give opportunities for the people that are actually going to spread the word of you give them the opportunity to do so and that stuff becomes more predictable but that's a different podcast (laughs) so for somebody who's not a writer like myself do you have any tips for injecting humor into content
0: um i do so i mean i put together my most favorite talk of all time this year. And the the last third of the talk is about how to take your existing copy and punch it up line by line. And a lot of it is just, you know, actual copy editing tweaks or or copywriting hacks or techniques that we're using anyway that aren't necessarily funny in and of themselves, but can make your copy feel more approachable. Things like, you know, chop up your sentences, write more fragmented sentences, because that's how we talk, punctuate with gifs or gifs and emojis. I've had this battle so many times.
1: (laughs) I don't even know what the right answer is. I
0: switched sides. I used to say gif and now I say gif because the guy who invented it says gif and I will leave it right there. Um, <laughs> but those are sort of um, writing approaches to to just come off as more friendly and approachable, but in terms of actually making a joke, uh, one of my favorite things to do that's so within reach for everybody is to make an aside. So like usually in parentheses when you when you have a line of copy you just want to join the conversation in your reader's head, and especially if there's an objection that they're facing. So say you're like, buy these tortilla chips. They're salty and they have a hint of lime. You might be like, don't worry, it's not overwhelming. Like, It's like someone whispered lime in your ear and, and not hit you over the head with a giant lime. This is the worst joke I've ever told. <laughs> <laughs> I was so bad at on-the-spot examples, but but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. You take a moment to sort of joke around and it doesn't distract from your end point. And I see that I see that a ton in emails and one place that I saw it where I didn't expect it, which I use as an example in my talk is a very simple transactional email from Warby Parker. And it's like, Hey, looks like you lost your password and open parentheses. Don't worry. It happens to everyone. That's like, Oh, that's so nice. You could have just left this as default copy, but instead I feel like less of an asshole for losing my password. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 hundred percent. I mean, I, people I've noticed that a lot on four or four pages. hmm. Oh, like unsubscribe pages. Mm-hmm. One of like Groupon had one, you know, that was circling around the web a couple of years back right? Yeah. it was like a whole video. Yep. It was like, holy cow, you know. Was-
0: I want to say HubSpot has one like that too. And it's somebody crying. It's like, this is how we feel now that you've left. But going back to your, your mentioning the Easter eggs, like those places where um, humor is unexpected are some of my favorite spots to to be funny because people are just not at all expecting to get down to your footer and see something funny or weird um mm-hmm. there's somebody who was on my list uh, and i went to his site and he's like a high fashion designer in paris but if you go to the footer of his beautifully designed site it says don't click here and if you click it it pops up a light box that says uh, you're a rebel and we like that here's a code for 15 percent off and it's just like ah, oh, thank you like i love this
1: Yeah. I mean, I love that kind of stuff because it definitely shows the human side. Like, and I'm all about automation and all the things that make our lives easier. But at the same time, there's humans on the other ends of these screens. So I like that kind of sense of like, Hey, this is like, could be the person down the street that's running this thing rather than like, okay, it's this nebulous cloud and I'm not even sure in this box just shows up at my house. And yeah, like you were saying with like the transactional emails, inject those, those are great opportunities to inject personality in, in and amongst themselves.
0: It shows care, you know, it creates a better customer experience because it shows that you were paying attention to every touch point this person was going to hit. And they think to themselves, oh, wow, if they cared enough to change the microcopy in this form field, surely, you know, whatever I'm buying or ordering or signing up for will arrive undamaged or the way that it's supposed to, you know, and be Mm -hmm. delightful.
1: Do you do one liners like that as well for your clients? Or is that like, I mean, in and amongst the landing pages and email sequences and things like that, like, do you have a package for those one liners that are in app messages or is it all-encompassing.
0: I don't have a, a productized service for them. Usually, if I'm doing something like that, it's along with some other larger product or project. Obviously, the goal is to over-deliver. So, if I'm doing a landing page for someone, I might say, "Here's a couple lines of microcopy for the for this next page or this next modal that pops up," or "Here's a an ad, a PPC ad that you can use to get traffic to this page." But I haven't, I just haven't figured out a way to package and price things like that. I would love to do more of those things
1: yeah I mean I think anytime I see that kind of stuff it's always like I mean we were mentioning MailChimp earlier and other SaaS products especially online when there's these little things like that like I'm like oh that's cool I like that like that means that the person the developer at least or (laughs) whoever designed this whole thing whoever worked on this little section of this product like you said they cared
0: yeah I took a screenshot a long time ago. Um, I'm getting excited and pulling my headphones out of my ears. There was an app called FOMO and there was some yep. fantastic in-app copy. Like they have great copy all around. This wasn't it. I can't find it, but there was some, <laughs> it was some dashboard copy. Like when you get into the actual app, it said something like, here's where you started or like, look how far you've come. And it was just sort of very self-congratulatory and nothing you would expect to see. And that's why it was so delightful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, more and more people are starting to adopt that sort of stuff. I th- I don't think there's enough of it, though, to be honest with you. I mean, there's definitely some products out there, some sites out there that I'm like, yeah, this is very dry. <laughs> like, like you could you could use a little personality on there. Um, and especially for freelancers, I mean, freelancers, small businesses, agencies, those kind of things. I'm I get asked a lot about should I use I or we? you know, even though if it's just me, should I make myself bigger? And my, my, my default answer is you're setting an expectation with that one word. So if you say we, then people are going to think that you're bigger. And if you're not there, then work's still getting done. But the other side of it is, is if you're I, then you can add your personality. If you're a small team, then chances are you like each other. So add your guys' personality to it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've, always been I actually that's I think I was we in some previous iteration of my shitty copy editing business before I stopped editing completely um yeah and it just felt so disingenuous I feel like being honest about like hey I'm a person and there are great things about that because it means you only ever talk to me and I'm listening you know and I'm the expert who's gonna fix your stuff but also like lets me off the hook. Like, Hey, you know, I had to cancel cause I'm sick and there's only one of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always been, I also, no matter what iteration of online presence I have. And I just, it took me a long time to put the personality into the brand though. Like I was always saying, I, I, I just me, I'm a solo developer. You're working with me, same things, but it took me a while. And what would you suggest to somebody that's thinking of maybe not being so dry anymore? Do you just say, Hey, go for it. Like, I I mean, you said earlier about adding it into certain pages, like deeper in the, into the site, but if they're wrestling with the idea in their head and they're not even to that point of actually injecting that stuff into their site, what would be the thought process that you would suggest them to go through to see if it's something that they want to try?
0: In terms of creating copy and putting it out there, like Maybe they, they write a blog post in a new style or kind of a looser style than they have before. And they, they start to send, they start to share it around and get some organic traffic and feedback on it. Um, in terms of like deciding on their own voice, I think it's just, you have to kind of pay attention to the things you enjoy what you go to, to relax, like what's your favorite Netflix show and why, why do you find it funny? You know, if parks and rec is your go-to show, then what is it about that show's humor that resonates with you? And how can you channel or mirror that if it feels authentic to do that for you? What kinds of jokes make you laugh? And when you tell jokes to your friends, because we all joke, you know, I don't think I've met uh, maybe have met a, like a couple of Germans who don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> Please don't tell them I said that. <laughs> they will find me. Um, but like, you know, what kinds of things do you say that, that make people laugh? It's so personal. And that's the whole thing. But just paying more attention and being more introspective is a good place to start.
1: Mm, yeah, that's that's great. So I definitely want to be mindful of, of the time here. I always like to ask, like, what's next for you? I mean, we're recording this the beginning of December. 2019 is right around the corner there. What's next?
0: So I have been slowly and I would not say steadily working on a course. I have long felt, you know, who am I to publish a course? I have a lot of imposter syndrome that I deal with all the time. But this year I was like, I think it's time uh, to write a course about humor in comedy um, and how to write funnier and why you should. So that's something that I'm working on and I'm excited about it. And luckily there are people who are also excited about it, who say they will buy it when it comes out. So like, fingers crossed. I just feel like there's this still this enormous uh, world of research, of humor research that I want to read about and dive into and sort of apply. There's so many things that I'll read and I'll be like, oh, that would be really uh, you know, fun experiment to try if I could translate that into a copy test or if I could, I just, I want to learn. Learn and do. Is that vague enough for you?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that that's, that's great. And before I let you go, do you do A-B tests on on the copy for your clients and for yourself rather either?
0: I don't deploy them, but I, I will write testable variants. Uh, and that's something that Snap does often too. My other business that I co-run with James Turner, you know, clients say, Hey, we're getting a ton of traffic, but our conversion rate for whatever metric we care about is lower than we want. Can you write a testable variant? That's what we'll do or that's what I'll do for a client. And then I sit here and hope that they, you know, set up the test correctly and they drive traffic appropriately and they wait till the test reaches significance so we can say, oh, it worked or it didn't work. And I would say like 10% of clients do that. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do at that point, you know, because... right. I'm a one-person show, I don't want to have a, a data team that I could deploy. In. And so I, I kind of make that sacrifice and just trust clients to do the thing. They paid for it. They might as well do it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of my clients talk a lot about A-B testing. and that would, I said, well, your traffic doesn't support it mm-hmm. or... We can do that, but it's going to take X amount of time to do that. And they're very impatient with. It. they're like, oh, this, this isn't something we can just run for a weekend or like, well, if you had more traffic yeah. you want to put paid ads to it, maybe we can do it. But yeah, sometimes clients don't, they like the idea of AB testing. Mm-hmm. They just don't know what goes on behind it. So it's definitely yeah. complex for sure.
0: I bet you have to do the same kind of, um, like education when it comes to people who want to test like this website project that I've been working on. He was like, yeah, we could split test headlines. And I was like, no, we can't. I know what kind of traffic you have. We can't do that. Like (laughs) you could pick your favorite, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Split test with your family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Um, where can folks reach out and say, thanks
0: punchline copy on Twitter is where I am just, uh, being obnoxious at brands sometimes and and (laughs) probably revealing too much about my life. Uh, and punchlinecopy.com and snapcopy.co. Those are where I live on the internet.
1: Awesome. And we'll link all of those in the show notes and check out her uppercut. That's a landing page. If you're trying to build a new service in your, in your agency or your freelance business or consultancy, put up a landing page first. Don't rebrand your whole entire website. Don't waste that time. Just put up a landing page, drive traffic to it, and check out the Uppercut. She'll help you out with the copy. Awesome. Thanks for being here and uh, sharing your experience and expertise with us.
0: This was so fun. I wish I could do it forever.
1: <laughs> we'll have have you back. <laughs> we'll do it again.
0: Fantastic.
1: Awesome. And for everyone else out there, till next time, it's your time to live in the feast. <laughs> it easier for someone to start working with you super smart what services can you turn around into off-the-shelf project-based productized services thank you so much for listening today if you enjoyed this episode then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe leave liana and i a five-star rating and review in itunes as well as it's going to help others like yourself find this episode Next week, we'll be back with Joe Workman discussing how he's shaped his business around a technology niche and how he's understood his audience so much that he's been able to actually disrupt that niche. Until next time, it's your time to live in the feast.